after a summer of football. It's the return of the other football, Premier League. And all your favourites will soon be hoving back into view. Pep, Moo, the giant floating head of Ray Winston. Plus, new faces too. How's it all going to work? Well, we've been busier than a Spurs transfer scout getting a comprehensive Premier League roundup together. Who were Man City's biggest opponents? Can Cardiff smash into the top six? And how long before Chelsea's headlines read, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue? It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show. Bada bim, bada boom. Welcome back into the room, Julian Laurent. Bonjour, Jimbo. He's looking tanned, everybody. Yeah. He's looking resplendent. Off. World champion, Julian Laurent. Sorry, say that again? Your world champion. <laughs> Champion du monde. Oh, yes. We... I'd forgotten just, just now. <laughs> he the, came home. I the... told you from the beginning he would come home. I don't know why people got carried away in this country. I don't know either. Sorry. Anyway, next to him, his grin slightly less resplendent, Adam Bay, a.k.a. Ghost Cole. Yeah, tan's okay though, isn't it? Yeah, the tan's <laughs> looking good, Adam. Nice and we, we got loads to chat to you about because of the Wolves. Yes, my hometown team. Bingo. They're up. What are they going to do? It's trouble for someone, I reckon. And of course, Daniel's story. Daniel's story. Aaron Cox wants to know what noise did you make when Gudiura almost scored the greatest goal in Forest history on Tuesday night? Ooh. What was this uh, goal opportunity? Uh, Forest 1 0 up, and Gudiura midfielder shot from sort of 65 yards, I think. No. A la David Beckham kind of shot. Sam Johnston amazingly managed to scramble back and tip it just wide of the post. All right. And that noise again? Ooh. All right. Ha ha, Totally Football Show back. Oh, it's good to be back. Here's Daniel Price. He's filled with enthusiasm. He says, give me three good reasons to watch the Premier League this season. What have you got, Adam? Well, you've set me up for it, so I may as well go Wolves, hadn't I? Right. Why are we going to be excited <laughs> by them? Well, but I think the signings that they've made are fantastic, but also the, the way that they play is, is exciting too. And just seeing someone who could potentially come up and finish in the top eight, which no one's done from the championship in about... 10 years, I think. Right. Top eight, you're saying? Potential top eight finishers? I think so, because there's 14 very ordinary teams in there, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a compelling argument. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll explore your rationale a little bit later on and all the delights that, that Wolves have in store for us. What are you most excited by, Jules, about this new season? I'll see all those French World Cup champions playing again in the Premier League. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to troll, I'm going to troll all English people <laughs> and British people for the next four years anyway. Yeah, it's going to wear really thin. I know, right? It's okay. No, more, more seriously, I want to see if City somehow can still improve. Uh-huh. I want to see how much Liverpool can push them. Right. I want to see Unai Emery. I'm really curious to see Unai Emery and hmm. what, what that's going to how is that going to pan out? So I think there's loads and loads of things to be very excited about. You, you're going to love the opening weekend then when Unai Emery's Arsenal take on Man City. We'll talk about that clash yeah. soon enough. Daniel, are we going to see an actual title race this year? I think we will see a title race. The Premier League has not been defended since 2008-9. It's the longest stretch of any league in, in Europe, major or minor, without a title retention. There are reasons to doubt City, I think. I think that the pressure from within the club, not from supporters, but from the people above Pep, is to go and win the Champions League. I think we can be pretty confident and say that Pep Guardiola was not appointed to win the Premier League. He was appointed to win the Champions League. And and by their high standards, they failed in that competition last season. Mm. So they're going to have to try and do both. And Pep Guardiola hasn't got the central midfield he wanted. But other than that, we're scratching around for reasons to see why they would be any weaker. Um, Liverpool have improved more than any other club, I think, in the Premier League in transfer market terms. But 
City still have that know-how and I, I think they'll probably will win the league. I'm not sure if Pep was appointed to win the Community Shield, but if he was, he's already ticked that box. I've got to hold my hands up and say I wasn't around for this game. What did I miss, Adam? <laughs> I was there and uh, there was a massive gulf between them, I thought. And I think even though they're not going to be able to repeat the points tally, I expect, I think you can make a pretty good case for them having been a stronger side. You know, I mean, Benjamin Mendy's back and Phil Foden is, you know, it's a terrible thing to say, like a new signing, but he is someone who's going to, he didn't start a game in the Premier League last year, I think he will this time around. Bernardo Silva looked good centrally and Mares is an extra option wide, so I think you can make a case for them being at least just as strong as, uh, as last season. It also feels like that Guardiola might have finally found his defensive, central defensive answer. He obviously signed Emeric Laporte in January and didn't play him that much and quite reasonably would want to see him after a full pre-season, but Starting him and Stones alongside each other feels very Pep Guardiola in mm. terms of that playing out from the back and and that sort of slow passing triangles to immediately quick into an attack. Jules, if you were looking for reasons why Man City might not repeat, I suppose Pep would cite the danger of complacency, as Daniel was mentioning, European distractions potentially. Also, are they a bit light up top? Do they need another striker? Or is that an old-fashioned way Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can find another one better than those two. No, not better, but is two enough for all the big games they've got? I mean, given I that so. neither neither has been injury-free. No, I still think that's, that's, that's enough. enough. And then you can yeah. play force number nine that he did a bit last season that didn't always work, but that he's done before as well. You can play Sterling there. You try Bernardo Silva as well in the competition. There's, there's loads of options you can find. I don't think you need another... I don't think they need another striker. I don't think they need... Even if Fernandinho turned 33, I think, two months ago, I don't think they even need a, another central midfielder. I know Jorginho was the big target, and I think Jorginho would have made that team almost invincible. Mm. But even with the squad they have right now, if everybody is fit, I just can't see any weaknesses, really. And by the way, just on the community shield, I thought Chelsea played so much into City's hands. It was ridiculous. In what way? I mean, Sarri can only play one way. And we saw that with Napoli. And... You would have thought, okay, maybe this time it's his first official game. He might try something a bit different because if he plays his own style of football, they're going to just kill them on the counter attack. And I mean, I think the second goal they scored in 11 seconds, which is exactly what they did to Napoli with City last season, to Sarri. And I think Guardiola just expected exactly the same thing in that game. And that's why I find it a bit hard to judge the City team if we wanted to on that Chelsea game because I just thought that everything went their way. So it was far too easy. Okay. Should we talk about Chelsea then? And, and, and by the sound of it, you're not too optimistic about how they're going to fare under their new manager. Do you think this is going to be one of those kind of Andre Villas-Boas, Phil Scolari? <laughs> is it going to be Gus Hiddink by Christmas, do you think, at Stamford Bridge? I think Sarri is a better manager than, than AVB and Gus Hiddink. I just wonder if his style of football is really suited for the Premier League. If you think about you know, some of the teams he will face and their game plan would be pretty easy to wait for Chelsea to come at them and then try to plan the counter-attack. And I just think that it was a problem at Napoli, but maybe against against Italian teams, it was not so much of, a, of an issue because then you can still press high and get the ball back very quickly. In the Premier League, I think he might struggle a bit more with that style of football if, if he doesn't have a plan B, for example. One thing that screamed out in the Community Shield because he wasn't there is just, again, how key N'Golo Kante is going to be this, mm. this season. With, mm. with Jorginho kind of playing that deep-line playmaker role and, and sitting deeper, and Kante is... I guess, going to be asked to do absolutely everything else. Complete box-to-box player, breaking up attacks, high up the pitch, deep in the pitch, pushing, starting attacking moves. And he's again going to have to be asked 
to have the season of his life. If he does, then Chelsea, I think, will be, you know, it can work. If he's not absolutely at his game, then, then yeah, that, that system struggles to be replicated, I think. The arrival of Jorginho is massive, though, in, in terms of Sarri's chances of success. Yeah, I think so. But the Community Shield kind of showed that it was easy to think and be seduced by the idea that he was going to come in and unlock Sarri ball for them or something. And he was just crowded out against City. And uh, yeah, the Hazard wasn't there and Kante wasn't there, but they've got problems all over the pitch, really. I think mm. Murata looked poor and still you have to doubt whether he can lead the line for a season. Never scored more than 15 in a top flight season. At the back, I think David Luiz and Rodiger didn't work as a two and that switch from a back three is going to take time to adjust. So right. there's lots of problems. Although, I mean, these are issues that we saw mirrored in uh, Sarri's experiences at Napoli, particularly with problems at the back that then saw him transform. The, the, I mean, the level of people like Koulibaly, kind of almost something un- unrecognisable. Lots of questions here. Fergus Org says, will Kanti get reinvented into an advanced playmaker role now that Jorginho is doing all the midfield swashbuckling? That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? He yeah. so, so f- flashed to that last season. I think they're more likely to use his, his bundles of energy more than playmaking, particularly if, if Ross Barkley can establish himself or Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think they're probably both better candidates to do that advanced playmaker role than Kante, simply because Kante has got enough energy for two players and they'll they'll need it. OK. How much patience, asked James Lee and Steve Malanga, will Chelsea's supporters need before they can expect results from the Sarri method, Jules? I think the Sarri method can take a while, especially if he doesn't really have the players to to play it. Does he have the players the to play it? I'm not sure. I really don't think he has the centre-backs centre that can play from the back. I'm not sure he has, apart from Jorginho and Conte in midfield, even Loftus-Cheek and even, you know, even Ross Barkley, even Seth Fabregas. I'm not really sure you've got a Marek Hamzik in there that would get you goals. Goals like Marek Hamzik can score them. And I don't think Morata is the number nine to play Sarri's system at all. That's why Dries Mertens did it so well. And Mertens and Morata couldn't be more different. And I just think there's one day to go before the end of the transfer window and it's, it's just not enough time. And then you have to think, back in July, why did you appoint him so late? Why didn't you give him the backup? Well, that was needed? also to do with, with, with Napoli, I guess, the, the way they were dragging their feet. But maybe, yeah. But if you're a Chelsea supporter, you're thinking, hang on, we, we, we hired someone who... Yeah. Not every manager have a very special way of playing. We need special players to play that way and only that way. And then you appoint him late and then you don't really give him the backup financially to sign players that would fit in his system. Right. So if, if he needs to improve the players he right, has right now to play in his system, that will obviously take far longer. I suspect there were similar conversations going on in Naples uh, a couple of years back. I, they're a tremendous squad of, of, of players. We saw how great Hazard was during the, the, the World Cup. They've, yeah, they've got question marks up front, particularly with striker. But I think that uh, it's... It's dangerous to assume that Sarri's just going to go with exactly the same thing he tried at, at Napoli on, on the basis of the Community Shield and a, a couple of other pre-season friendlies. I think, I think the other problem he's got is the Europa League. When Conte came in and he had time to work on it in the training ground, right. he's coming from like 30 points back on Man City and he's got the Europa League. So I think even to get in the top four would be an achievement. Daniel, you've been practising saying the name of Chelsea's likely new keeper. Keeper Arizabalega. There you go. Well, he's... I mean, he he's clearly a, a huge talent and, and Real Madrid certainly considered making him their replacement for Keylor Navas when they worried that they would not get either of David De Gea or Thibaut Courtois last summer and eventually kind of kept faith and have looked to be getting one of them this summer. It's Again, it's a world record fee for a goalkeeper. It's crazy, you know, what is it, 71 million yeah, euros or something? Yeah, that market. But then, 
you know, I, I saw someone say, how how can Everton expect 70 million for Jordan Pickford? And you think, well, the answer is because they paid a, a reasonably significant fee for him. He's very good. He's very young, like Kepa. And there's no reason to sell. So, of course, it's going to take a stupid amount of money for a, for a team to sell their best player, arguably their best player. And, and I, I think he probably is Bilbao's best player. So, yeah, he the pressure will be on him. I, I suspect Alisson is very happy that a goalkeeper has come in for a higher fee in the same league right. as him because obviously this is Liverpool and this is following Loris Karius's exploits so there will always be a focus on, on Alisson but managing to give away that record fee tag very quickly is probably welcomed. One other quick question about Chelsea. You, remarkably for that club, they might have an incredibly talented young English prospect coming through into the first team potentially, Daniel? I think they'll keep him around. This uh, is Callum Hudson-Odoi. Indeed, who, who did play very well in the Community Shield and, and having been given starts in pre-season and starts in that, he has done absolutely nothing wrong. I think this is a really interesting season in general for young English players because whereas before they would have been given sort of passing glances, now they're getting you know Foden, Hudson-Odoi, they're getting national newspaper columns mm. and that's because of the success of England's youth team it's because of the success in the World Cup and it's because something feels like it's building so there will be pressure on managers to play them and if they're not playing them there'll be pressure on those players to go right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere where I can get minutes so yeah it will be something to watch I believe that young players are the future Daniel. A lot of people, uh, speaking of beliefs, are running around at the moment, normally sensible folk as well, declaring that Liverpool are going to be Man City's chief rivals this year for the title. Can this be? Producer Ben spoke to Melissa Reddy, senior football correspondent for joe.co.uk, to find out about expectations in and around Anfield. Liverpool both as a club, the supporters, uh, the backroom staff have all been pining for a very strong spine. When you look at the quality they've brought in, Alisson nailed on number one world-class goalkeeper, which, you know, since Pepe Reina left in 2013, that department has been the weak link persistently. Nabi Keita, one of the, the number eight positions, uh, Virgil van Dijk came in in January Fabinho and Henderson will rotate the number six position, but Henderson can also be used as an eight. And I think Shakiri is going to be quite an astute signing. Depending on the opposition and the competition, you know, he's got room to maneuver, which is not something he's been able to do a lot of the time, Jurgen. In terms of have they got everything they want, obviously not, because they were prepared to pay fifty-three million pounds for Nabil Fakir. And you know, the stylistic attributes he would have added to the team, his versatility, uh, set-piece delivery, you know, quite a creative player, goals, assists. That's not actually the weakest area in Liverpool squad. Liverpool's attack is, is phenomenal. Melissa Reddy of joe.co.uk. What do you think? Uh, most expensive goalkeeper in the world, well, until Kepper. One of the most expensive keepers in the world, the most expensive defender still, is he not, Virgil van Dijk? Yeah. yeah. And yet, Daniel Story, you're all over the internet today saying Liverpool are going to be the best club not to win anything. Did you just cut and paste that from last year? Uh, and the year before, I think. Oh, did you? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they, they might be Manchester City's strongest challengers. The reason to doubt it is that Mohamed Salah last season had 
arguably the greatest individual season in Premier League history. Uh, and Liverpool finished fourth. I know they have a, addressed problems in defence and in goal. Those two reasons were not the reasons that Liverpool didn't win the Premier League, for my mind. The reason they didn't, Liverpool didn't win the Premier League were because Manchester City were far above and beyond anyone else. And then, to my mind, the gap is not going to be bridged just by Liverpool improving. Manchester City would have to get you know, notably weaker as well. And, and I just don't think they have. And I don't think they'll win the Champions League either for, for similar reasons. So the FA Cup is pretty much the only trophy that Klopp can win that he can then point to and say, this has been a successful season, which is the eggs in one basket. It just seemed terribly harsh. <laughs> why, why, why is Daniel I mean, wrong? I will pay for it. Don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> no, I can see the argument. And I think Man City are clear favourites, but they are coming from fourth. So... I can see them jumping ahead and being the closest challengers because I think they have improved all over. I take the point about Salah, but they have improved in goal. Van Dijk for the whole season. I think they've got options now in attack as well with Shakiri and Lalana being fit. Mm. It does give them the opportunity to rotate a bit. But I think the big difference is midfield because I think as good as Henderson and Wijnaldum and Milner were, they scored two goals between them last right. season. And Cater's going to bring more creativity, more goals. So I, I think you're going to see him improve a lot. Whether it's enough to, to catch City is another matter. All right. Naby Keita, who could well prove to be the signing of the season in the same way that Salah was last time around. What about Fabinho, though, Jules? What does a Fabinho do for your team? One is much better than Jordan Henderson. But I don't even want to get into a debate. It's, there's just no debate. He's the most one of the most intelligent players in Europe right now. He's Fabinho. Young Fabinho. Mm. He, can, he can play also a right-back if you want. He can play as a number eight. But for me, number six... That's why he played so well with Bakayoko at Monaco in a different system than what club will play at, at, at Liverpool. But he will still bring so much in terms of tactical intelligence, in terms of his positioning, in terms of his movement with the ball, on the ball. He's so reliable on the ball as well. His masters are taking penalties, for example. He didn't miss any in Ligue 1 in his time at Monaco. For me, he's the best signing of all of them. Of really? All the signings that Liverpool have made is better, more for me, more important than Alisson, more important than Naby Keita, even. Right. Well, I'm still not sure about the temper. I think the Premier League might be the wrong league for Naby Keita if he doesn't sort out his discipline issues, which he's had so much in Germany, in a league that is very similar to to the Premier League in terms of intensity and and pace of the game. Mm. So I really want to see if if under Klopp he can. Not calm down. The problem was not him calming down. It's just him sorting out some discipline issues he's had and, and temper issues, I think. Right. Be very interesting to see. If he, if he does, I mean, tremendous box-to-box talent. Oh, incredible. I'm not even sure box-to-box is has the definition for him. Almost because certainly I think not. he's a number 10, he's a right. number 6, he's a number 8. Uh-huh. I'm sure he can even play wide. He's so good on the ball. He's an incredible talent. And for them to have him... And the thing is, we've, we've been waiting a year. You know, we've we've known for a year he was coming, and I think the expectation is building, building up, building up, building up, and now he's finally here. Mm. So we see. Okay, is Fabinho the reason that people thought Bakayoko is a good player? Yes, certainly, Fabinho is the kind of player who makes the others around him looking better than they actually are. Damn, that's how good he is. All right, they're going to open up at home to West Ham, Liverpool. Then they got Palace away, and then Brighton at home. That's that's a s- softish beginning, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, also, let's not forget that City really struggled against them last season, you know, in the league, in the Champions yeah, League as well. The problem true. for Liverpool was the consistency and yeah. some games where they just couldn't unlock the opposition's defence because they, they have one very good way to play, but then the plan B was always a bit of an issue in the club. If if then they can find that with Keita, with Shakiri, 
then they would be very, very interesting. Then they can win the title. Is that what you're saying, Jules? I think they can. I think I think that is really harsh. I think <laughs> yeah. they, they can do it for sure. Jules has called it title heading to Anfield for the first time in 29 years. Jules? The only thing I would say, I was yes. very disappointed in the way they behave on the Nabil Fakir deal. To try to lower the price down once they, they thought they saw something not quite right with his knee, mm. which everyone else from the French team to the Lyon medical staff couldn't see. And them trying to lower the price when the price had been agreed before I thought it was, you know, it was a bit like... It wasn't really? close. Really? But that's all. That's all I have. That's all. Now, if you want to hear what Jules th- really thinks, really thinks about Arsenal, stay tuned because it's coming up after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. It's Totally Football Show and we are pumped about the new Premier League season. Among the many questions, the big unknown, Arsenal... Was Wenger holding them back? What will Unai Emery bring to this particular party? And what does Stan Kroenke's extraordinary takeover mean for the ordinary fan like you and I? Jules, back to you. First off, Unai Emery, who you hated when he was at PSG. No, you I hated no, I Every hate week, him. Jules would come in and spit on the floor. But, I mean, <laughs> but there was a lot of things I didn't agree with him exactly. in Exactly. All right. That doesn't mean I hated him. Okay. You hated what he was doing with yeah. your club, Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. What are Arsenal fans going to get with what he does with their Gunners? But I think it's a club that's far more suited to him than PSG ever was. I just don't think he was the right call for PSG. I don't think he liked the sort of bling-bling environment. I don't think he likes the pressure from the top. A bit what we talked about City and Pep and having that constant pressure. You, you are here to win the Champions League. If you don't, you are failing. Mm. And I think this is a really hard pressure to have on if you're, if you're a manager like Unai Emery. I think Pep is probably more ready for it than, than Emery ever was. And I think he realised very quickly that he lost the power, uh, the power struggle with the dressing room, that, you know, that there were a lot of players that didn't really agree with a lot of things he was doing, which is not going to be the case at Arsenal. This is a much nicer environment for him to work and to, you know, to, 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 to use his methods. Will it be good philosophy. football? It will be good football. He's, he's a very similar manager to you know, to Guardiola in a way and Klopp and those kind of young managers where he wants to, he wants the intensity that Wenger didn't really care about. He wants the players to get the ball back as high as possible. He wants that intensity, high pressing. You know, he wants them to play vertic- a lot vertically, which the PSG players, for example, didn't, didn't want to do. So they, they put him back to his place very quickly by saying, listen, we have been playing a certain style of football for the last few years. This is what we want to play. We don't really care what you want us to do. Arsenal is different. I think I think a lot of the players who were there under Wenger will be happy to see something a bit different because they, you know he's been there for so long. And I think the a new approach to the game, new tactics, new philosophy, new videos. A lot of things have changed in the last three months at Arsenal. Not just Wenger and Unai Emery, but a lot of other things. And I think that a lot of the players will welcome that. Okay. Scoop wants to know: Do you see Emery trying to fit both Lacazette and Aubameyang into his starting eleven as a as a front two? That's one of the keys. I think there won't be a front two, so you'll have to push Obama Young left, uh, which I'm not sure he's really keen on. I don't think he's a really cool guy. He's a cool guy. Just don't push him too much. And we saw that at Dortmund when he clashed with Tuchel, for example, and even you know before moving to Arsenal with with Bosch and and people at the club. So. I don't think he would mind playing a bit on the left-hand side and Lacazette in the centre. They get on really well. They're very good friends, those two, which I think helps a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think Aubameyang really believes that his best position is centrally. I think Lacazette knows his best position is centrally as well. So he, either he finds a way of playing them together 
or one will have to be on the bench. And I, I think, like I said, I think Aubameyang, if you have to pick one of the two to start up front, would be Aubameyang. I, I actually think that, that attack could be really exciting to watch. I think Arsenal have got pretty significant problems still in defence and in central midfield. But if you pick a front five, effectively, of, of Lacazette and Aubameyang, who can swap positions, um, you pick Mkhitaryan on the right and Ramsey centrally, who could swap positions, you pick Mesut Ozil as number 10 and have him roaming around them all, there's potential for some pretty lovely football mm. there the thing with Arsenal is they were they were obviously miles off last season but there were such systematic issues most notably the away form that a very quick improvement in away form could see them pretty easily shunted up the league a bit I don't think they'll finish top four in the first season really no but that's because the, the systematic issues of the club were going on for so long that they'll take more than one season to sort that's not Unai Emery's fault but yeah, I think they could be one of the most exciting teams to watch in the league. In his last season at Sevilla, Unai Emery didn't win a single away game in the league. That's not good news. That's not good news for Arsenal. Arsenal, of course, took until May the 14th last season to finally get three points away from yeah. home. But their new man could make it even worse. <laughs> Yikes, they start at home to Man City, but then they're away at Chelsea. Yeah. Crikey. I think that makes it a really interesting start, though, doesn't it? Because that's the thing that they were saying about Wenger, the fans, that he wasn't adapting to the opposition. First two games, he's going to have to do that. Yeah. So will they do it? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I think they have looked undercoached, haven't they? And you'd expect to see them look coached mm. and look drilled. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think they could do well. It's a good time to play Man City, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. The other thing to, to mention is that, I mean, defensively, there are still issues, but the signing of Lucas Torreira could be really, really mm. important for them. Yeah, they've, they've lacked that holding midfielder and a guy who's tactically astute there. I mean, Xhaka has been exposed in that position quite a lot, so I think that would make a difference. But like Dan says, I think defensively, it's still perhaps the weakest of the top six. Even though they let Callum Chambers go to, to Fulham. Yeah. I think Lichtsteiner is a very, very interesting signing. He's he, surely not going to play very much. He's he? the team manager. They've been lacking for so long. Right. He's a team manager. I, I'm sure you remember the story. You probably don't. <laughs> I told you after the uh, the Tottenham Juventus game right. at Wembley, uh-huh. when Juventus went through in the Champions League. Yes. And Lichtsteiner was so annoyed that some players were taking too long to leave the dressing room to go back to Turin. He was like a team manager. He was on the coach and was saying like, come on. He was the boss, and I think this Arsenal dressing room has missed the boss for a very, very, very long time, probably even since Patrick Vieira left. And I think whether he plays or not, the importance he will have in that dressing room with young players, even with more established players, the link he will do with Unai Emery, he's a very clever guy, he speaks a lot of languages, and he came, you know, he came as a free player. He would push a bit better in, I think, to become better. But I think his role off the pitch would be very, very important. So do you, do you think that's what they bought him for? Well, I, th- I think he's also you know, a good player. Yeah. He's a, you know, he played at the World Cup and he did well sure. with Switzerland and stuff. But I think, I think it was very easy to identify there was a lack of leadership in that dressing room with Per Metesaka going as well and retiring to become the um, head of academy at the club. And I think for that, it would be absolutely perfect. OK. The other big thing going on at Arsenal this week... Andy Williams referencing it here. What are the long-term implications of the proposed Cronky takeover? It's it's now all but set in in stone, is it not? He's going to be, he's going to own the whole club. As such, we're going to wave goodbye to those tremendously entertaining annual general meetings. Yeah. What else are we going to see change? Do you think, Daniel? I mean, in reality, Cronky held all the cards anyway. Um, I think this is more a rubber stamping of that principle and uh, an emphasising to Arsenal fans that that. 
what they might want for the club doesn't necessarily matter anymore. There, there in, is in a, terms of money being spent on new players. Yeah, there, there's a there's an accusation against Kroenke both at Arsenal and in, with his with his other sports investments that he is happy to. He'd rather take dividends out of the club than spend it on the team. If the team's profitable and the club's profitable, then he's happy, no matter what supporters or manager might want. And and to that sense, this couldn't come at a worse time for Arsenal because forget what happens on the pitch this season. Wenger leaving and, and anyone else coming in was about a fresh start. It was about change. It was about supporters not feeling like every season was groundhog season. For this to happen and to kind of rubber stamp that feeling of, well, what we want doesn't really matter anyway... I think very much bursts that bubble. Bursts that kind of bulging, pus-filled boil of of, of discontent. Mm. Okay, uh, Robert Kemble asks, hello, Robert, uh, how many points will Man City win the league by, Arsenal miss out on the top four by, and Mourinho get before he's gone? Hey, Jose Mourinho, he's still there, you know, Adam. Yeah, he might last the season too. Do you think he's going to last the season? Yeah, possibly. All right. Mourinho's Manchester United... Wait, should we talk about the Pog situation or do you want to go with the uh, Mourinho meltdown meter? Where are we on that exactly? I think, I think they're probably intrinsically linked. The situation Mourinho, I mean, what I don't understand is how it's always presented as in protecting the players. And this is some sort of Machiavellian plot. I just don't see it. I see a guy who's being quite petty and complaining to protect himself, really. He's had a go at Valencia, Young, Martial. How, how far do we go? Pogba. And I don't think it's helpful at all. I think it's created a negativity when there really wasn't any need for any. Because, I mean, Fred's a good signing. They've spent a bit of money. The team should be strong in terms of the first 11. Yeah, there's a problem in the first few weeks, but Tottenham have got that problem too. They've actually got some decent first two fixtures as well that you'd expect them to win regardless of who's available. So what I don't understand is why why there's so much negativity. Is it to put pressure on Woodward, perhaps? But uh, Woodward is dreadful at his job, right? We all agree. So if you were Mourinho, I think, whether you like him or not, I think you would be right to be enraged at the lack of everything above him. Mm. I know I would go mad. If I was United manager right now and, I, and I'd given them a list at the end of May, beginning of June, I'm like, OK, this is the position we need to strengthen. This is a club with loads of scouts everywhere, with a lot of money everywhere. This is who I want. If you can't get them, this is who I want next. And if you can't get them, this is who I want next. And by now, only have... Joe Godalo, who you paid a lot of money for, who hasn't really, we don't really know much because he hasn't played much in Portugal anyway. And Fred, okay, Fred, is, I think, is a very good signing. Alderweireld might come. Is that still a possibility? Or is it yeah, like I mean, he's... a centre-back, whoever that is, now has to come anyway. But why is it whoever, though? I mean, Harry Maguire, that seems a lot of money to me for a guy when you've signed Lindelof the year before, by the year before that. I'd want to see some sort of evidence that these big signings are, are going to work. Yeah, no, maybe. And maybe that's Mourinho. I, I, think, I think Mourinho has a valid gripe, which is that Manchester United, as of the latest annual report, are now the biggest club in the world in terms of revenue. And if you're going to try and bridge a gap to Manchester City and you, it looks like you're going to have to do that artificially, i.e. via the transfer market rather than coaching... You know, Manchester United more than anyone have the money to do that. And I think he's probably annoyed at, at Liverpool's brilliant business. But as Adam says, I think there can be a balance whereby you have a gripe with the football club, but then also think, well, hang on a minute, if I'm not going to be backed in the transfer market, should I maybe avoid burning the bridges I have within the squad? And, and Pogba is the obvious example. And, you know, something like his quotes after the World Cup, which Pogba reportedly was upset with, which was that he sold Pogba's World Cup performances in a negative manner and said, well, he's not done it for Manchester United, so whatever. That's not about 
displaying or airing grievances. That's about sense of, you know being a sensible manager and, and managing people properly. You know you're going to go into a season where Pogba's going to have to step up his game for you to win the league or challenge for it. So I don't see the benefit of of, of continuing these kind of personal vendettas to the detriment of the club. Unless you think that Pogba's actually not going to be at the club. Uh, Barcelona, who made a, a kind of curious, what was it, 50 million plus a couple of players yeah. bid for him. Jules, Yusuf asking if Pogba wants to leave or is it just his agent trying to make a bit of business? I was told that he didn't want to leave he and didn't that he didn't leave. ask to leave either. I think Mino Raiola being Mino Raiola, there was always going to be a lot of noise like this. It's probably even more fun for Raiola that the transfer window in England finishes so much earlier. <laughs> but it won't necessarily but end for Pogba, though, because he could I, still I leave. Don't, I don't think he would leave. I really don't. But the, don't the transfer window ending sooner, this is a question Will Frost asking, could leave a real problem in situations like this. If Pogba was to go, there would be no way of a Premier League sub bringing in a replacement for all the money they might receive. I suppose that just underlines the fact that they wouldn't let him go. Yeah. You know. So probably going to be there and, and and maybe this will be the season that it all clicks. Where do you see Man United finishing, Adam, this year? I would say third or fourth. I don't think they're as strong as Liverpool and I think there's some momentum behind Liverpool but I still think there's so much work for Arsenal and Chelsea to do to catch up that I would expect them to still make top four. Okay. I think they'll finish second. The other thing that we're not overlooking because he's a very, you know, a very good footballer. But when when Manchester United signed Alexis Sanchez in January, um, Jose Mourinho said, "This is not a signing for January. This is a signing for the summer." And Jose Mourinho, being Jose Mourinho, he's kind of overlooked that he said that that he, he was he counted as a summer signing because he still wants more. But he's looked brilliant in pre-season when United have have been weak. If he hits the ground running this season, we know, you know, we know how much he improved Arsenal, if not single-handedly, then certainly with a creative midfielder alongside him. So, yeah, I think this could be Sanchez's season. All right. They start off at home to Leicester. Mm. Interesting. On Friday night. That means, well, we've got Man United bidding for the top four, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea are bidding for the top four. Hey, what about Spurs? Spurs, who've been third and second and third in the last three seasons in the Premier League. But a lot of concern, Adam, a lot of concern about the World Cup hangover and about the fact they haven't made any signings at all. What's going on? Yeah, I think the World Cup thing is obviously a short-term problem, but the long-term problem is that they're not bringing in new players. I think the continuity thing is something you can push really hard with Mm -hmm. Tottenham and say that they're going to keep getting better synergy benefits and all this used to each other. But there's only so much that that can happen. There's only so many times that Harry Kane can get better again Ooh. and Deli Alli can improve, you know. Well, Zach Swears is taking very much that view. Spurs gain uh, back a fit when Yama, Lamella, Aurier, Lucas and Winks, they signed and sold no one yet, but it looks like Dembele and Alderweireld are staying, says Zach. In the age of 50 million Richarlison's, can a summer be successful without spending 50 million on a, a player? I mean, the, the nux of that is that sometimes it's better just to stick with what you got and, and, and let it grow a bit further, no? Well, it's good that they've kept the key players. Uh, I think Jack Grealish could still come. I don't know how that, the timing of that one could be. but uh, Is that the area that you would look to strengthen in this Spurs side? I think this could still get someone in central midfielders cover and a young player who's going to be happy to come in and out of the team. But this, I, don't, I just think that that is a team that I can't see them moving to that next level without new signings mm. because I think they've improved so much as it is. They're in a, a, an almost unique position in that the cohesion and the synergy within a team is such a driving force of their rise that you can see why any transfer target, unless it is a superstar name, and, and if Tottenham go to that level, then they're competing against clubs that can pay more or willing to pay more money and, and higher transfer fees. 
then you, the obvious example is the backups to Harry Kane. If you're a transfer target and you're a striker and Tottenham come in for you, you go, well, I know I'm not going to pl- replace Harry Kane. If you're a creative player, you say, well, I know I'm not going to create Christian Eriksen. If you're any of that first choice back four, then you go, well, Trippier's ha- been one of the players of the World Cup. Danny Rose and Ben Davies at left back. Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen, Davinson Sanchez, Eric Deer. They've already got four central defenders. So you think, well, I'm only ever going to be bought as backup here. And that's quite a hard thing to convince when you're Tottenham, when you can't pay the extra money that Liverpool and Manchester United and Manchester City are prepared to pay. So I do feel for them a little bit, but Pochettino asked them to be brave in May and clearly sent a pretty obvious message that he wanted some some you know, he wanted improvement in this squad and, and they haven't backed him up and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be outside the realms for him to for this to be his last season at Tottenham, I don't think. What about their move to a new stadium, which is, of course, in this case, their old stadium? But you remember when they shifted to a new ground and got a little bit lost in the wide-open fields of Wembley? I think lost. it's a bit tricky. We saw it with West Ham, we saw it with, with Arsenal at the Emirates as well. I think it's never easy to, to come to a new ground, even if it's your old one, you know, where all your bearings are different. And that's what Lloris was saying a lot when they went to Wembley the first time, is that it's so different than what they had before. Mm. Or where they had at Haaland at the same time, you know, in, in other games. And I think the bearings at the new Haaland would be completely different than the bearings at the old Haaland, yeah. obviously, because it's much bigger, it's completely different. So it'd be very interesting. And the whole thing could get quite negative, I think, if, you know, if, if the season doesn't start well, then they move into the new stadium. That might be even later than what, they, what they're hoping for. Mm. And then I just think the, the signing of Lucas Moura is a bit like the Alexis signing. For, for Spurs they didn't okay. sign him for January they signed him, they signed him for now mm-hmm. whether that's going to make a difference or not I, I don't know but but I agree with the boys I, I, it's, it's, it's a very weird situation of all the clubs they've got to be the least happy with this early start date for the season because this means even more games in August and of course what doesn't happen in August <laughs> Harry Kane goals like never I think we could see that record change couldn't we surely, do you think surely yeah he's already talked Pochettino's already talking about Kane wanting to play on the first day of the season against a, an equally transfer market bereft Newcastle. Yes. Is that so, home or away, Daniel? That's away. It's at Newcastle. Uh, it's the it's the twelve thirty kickoff on Saturday. Of all the World Cup hangovers, and Kane was looked like he was carrying an injury at the World Cup, never mind fatigued, he's the one that you'd back back at Tottenham to say, well, hang on a minute, I've had a few weeks off, I want to play straight away, because he knows how crucial he is to that team. Saturday lunchtime at St James's Park. He may get the chance to deliver his answer. Predict the top six jewels, and then we'll take a break. City, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Spurs, and Chelsea. Arsenal in the top four ahead of Spurs and Chelsea. What do you think, Adam? I'd go the same as that, except I'd swap Tottenham and Arsenal. Oh, really? Okay, so yeah, they'd be top, top four, Arsenal yeah. be at the bottom. Yeah, City, United, Liverpool, Tottenham. Arsenal, Chelsea. That's us rearranging those six names, but is there the chance of some other fresh new name, maybe from the Midlands, uh, <laughs> busting into that uh, happy little uh, sextet? We'll be discussing that and more after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Totally. We're not just here for the nasty things in life. On all things EFL, there's the revamped Totally Football League show. That's with Caroline Barker every Tuesday. Totally Italian football show, a.k.a. Golazza, will return next week. James Horncastle joining me here every Wednesday throughout the City House season. And new for the 2018-19 season, it is the Totally Scottish Football Show 
because nobody puts Scottish football in a corner. Am I right, Andrew Slaven? You're absolutely right about that. Bingo. Andrew Slaven joining us here in the pod. Thanks for coming by. So much to no talk problem. about, uh, it, it, as indeed you have it in your show. Just bring us up to speed on one or two of the key points from this weekend. Well, the biggest point, obviously, was Steven Gerrard's first game in the league for Rangers. As manager, he came in in the summer and up against Aberdeen, the team who's finished second in the last four seasons. You know, the team that Rangers really need to push, as well as Celtic. And they were forced into a draw. It was a 94th minute equaliser at the end. Yeah. But broadly speaking, a lot of people have been quite impressed with the way Gerard started, no? Yeah, I think most Rangers fans have been, but his comments at the weekend were a little bit eye-opening after the result. What did he but, say? Well, he, he basically said they were a class above Aberdeen. Right. And this is the team that's finished second um, the last four years. So he's going for the title then? He's, well, he's, well, that's his, that's his job. How many consecutive titles have Celtic won? Seven. Seven, OK. Any chance of that run ending this season? I would personally say that Celtic are, without doubt, the favourites for the title. But what's really interesting is that I think Rangers are a much more equipped side this year with right. Gerard as manager. All right, well, we've got European fixtures coming up. Celtic or AK, that's uh, this Wednesday evening. Rangers up against Maribor on Thursday. How crucial are those games for those two clubs? Massive, and not just for the clubs, but for Scottish football, really. You know, I think Celtic have a really tough ask. They need to get a really good um, result on Wednesday night at home. And then Rangers got a really tough task against Maribor. They've faced four Scottish sides in the last nine years. Maribor have won all of those games. If they can do it, it's really good for Scottish football, and I hope they do. OK. When are you back, Andrew? We're back on Monday, and we'll review all the Scottish football. All right. And those European games as well, I imagine. Of course, absolutely. And all the right. one thing about this show is we like to say we're only 49% Glasgow football. But 100%? So absolutely. It's all about the Scottish football. We cover everything. Andrew Slavin of the Totally Scottish Football Show. Dan Simpson, hello, asks, do you think any Premier League teams are worse off after their transfer dealings this summer? Do you, Adam? I think it seems really harsh on Leicester to say them because I think they've bought quite well. James Madison's a good player uh-huh. and Johnny Evans is a good signing. But when you lose Riyad Mahrez, he was their best player. And I think there's, even with Claude Puel still being there, there's going to be a little you know, it's a bit sapping even before they start. And right. to lose the best player, I think they probably are weaker. And the go. danger of Maguire going as well? Or the danger of him staying as well. It's a lot of, <laughs> money, a lot of money, that is. Are you not a fan? <laughs> I am a fan, but I don't think he'd be a good signing for United. Right. And, uh, I, don't, I don't know how he'll feel about staying. Okay, interesting. Mulvey's question is, what's the best signing of the summer valued under £10 million? Daniel, do they do signings? Yeah, it's the pocket change transfers now. Uh, If I'm not allowed to say a free transfer, and I think that would be cheating. Who would that be? That puts me on the spot. Jack Wilshire could be good for free for West Ham. I'll say Ben Wilmot, 18 years old, £1.5 million gone to Watford. Tottenham and Arsenal both... We're tracking him at Stevenage, and obviously he wanted to stay south. And ben Watford. Wilmot. Ben Wilmot, yeah. I'm not sure he'll play. What's he do? Centre-back. <sighs> OK. Uh, although he has been playing centre midfield in pre-season, but they think huge things of him. OK. And he's at Watford. He's at Watford. All right, which is home kind of a, of the players who I'm not entirely familiar with. Yes. Brilliant. We'll talk about Watford later on. Oh, there's one other question here. Jules, you can have this. Paul says, who have been the best and worst transfers in the Premier League this summer? You've already said you think Fabinho's the the guy. Yeah, the guy at Liverpool. I think there was a lot of very, very good signing. Best one? Yeah, I go for Fabinho. Okay. I, like, I like Fabinho. Worst signing? Richarlison. I don't I just don't <laughs> understand. I don't understand how this is possible. I don't understand who signed it off. I don't who thought, yeah, spend that money on on him. <laughs> yeah. I mean I hope he proves me wrong because I don't I don't mind the guy, I don't mind Everton either. Right. But this one 
It's just, I don't get it. Yarmolenko must be close to being one of the worst signings, surely. 28, 17 and a half million. 17 and a half. I know, yeah. but at least okay. Yamolenko has done very good things in his career. I don't think Richarlison, yeah, although Dortmund. he's much younger, I don't think he's done much, you know, we've saw, I don't know, like Yamolenko last season had a, I remember a few good goals with Borussia Dortmund, mm. for example. I think, you know, he has proven a, a bit more than Richarlison, mm. who cost twice the price. Yeah, extraordinary, isn't it? Marco Silva had him at Watford in what was initially a very happy marriage indeed. Uh, but it, I, I think that's been the WTF moment of the of the summer, really. Yeah, and and... Everton continuing to pursue it when it became clear that Watford were going to pull their pants down on the deal because they had lingering resentment over Silver's exit. Everton had a slightly sticky time of it in transfer dealings of late. Last summer, there was that whole Sigurdsson business. Now, what do you make of this summer's dealings, Adam? Not as negative about Richarlison as the guys are. Um, I think they've addressed the width problem that they had a little bit last season. I think Bernard's come in as well. Mm, yep. So they've got two wingers who are going to threaten at least. Still not sure about Tozen up front. So I think there's still work to do. And, and defensively, I think that massive overhaul needed still, even though they have brought a good left back in. Lucas Dean. Yeah. Oh, out of PSG and Roma and loads of other places. Yeah, so he's beyond. Dean. Yeah. And not Dean because I've heard so many Dignes on British television. Yeah. So it's a Dean. Yes. And you don't say the yes, it's Luca Dean. Luca Dean. Yeah. Luca Dean. Thank you. Okay. Look at Ding Dong. All right. You, you're probably a fan of Bernard out of his kind of because of his Shakhtar Donetsk affiliation. Yeah, I think he's a oh Brazil even you know. He's, oh, yeah. I think 13 or 14 caps for Brazil. I think he's a very very talented player. I prefer him much more than Richarlison, and he came on a free. Hmm. Um, I think he's a really good coup for Everton to All find right. a player like him. Plus, the toffee's got two of the reasons that to England did really well uh, at the World Cup this summer: Jordan Pickford and Noeen Rooney. So there's that. No, I mean, it's a team that's got a slightly more yeah, logical the only, shape. The only thing that strikes me about Everton is that last last season they had this huge collection of number 10s and they seem to manage to move most of those on. Yeah. And now they seem to have this a huge collection of wide players. You know, they've got Bernard, they've got Richarlison as a wide forward. They've got um, Theo Walcott. They've got Theo Walcott. They've got Adamola Luckman. They've got sort of seven wide players for two positions. Yeah. yeah. The good thing they've got, though, is I think the fans are behind Marco Silva. So even though they finished eighth last season, you could see them finishing ninth this season and still keeping some sort of momentum and fans feeling like they're going somewhere with it. Right. Well, the impressive start, no, they won their first pre-season game mm. 22-0. Yeah. You know they haven't won since. If they play that... If <laughs> they, they haven't won that... the last five. Oh, really? Yeah. I Keep bet they're still ahead on goal difference, though, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they probably are, but still, <laughs> it's not... You know, it's not ideal. And the thing about Marco Silva, his record is terrible. If you look at the record at Hurl and, and Watford, and despite all the, you know, I think he's a very, very talented manager, but I think he won 12 in 50 or something ridiculous like that. It's, it's not great. Okay. You know where they start? You know where he begins his league campaign? Yes, because I was on holidays with Ben Foster. Okay. Yeah. He's very nice. Him and his family are very nice. And we played a lot of football. And Did you? Yeah, one of my son's... Eventually scored a goal against him. He probably let it in. But yeah, Where was, was this, Jules? That was in Hertfordshire. In, in Hertfordshire? Yeah, in a nice You were on holiday hotel. in Hertfordshire yeah, yeah, with Ben we Foster? Yeah, for a few days there, yeah, and so was it. And You're better at football than uh, Ben Foster as well, aren't you? No, he was really good. His son, Louis, <laughs> yes. who's eight, played as well with us. Uh -huh. He was a good little player. And my, my older son, Raphael, played as well. And he was really nice. Okay. And he was a lovely guy. Did you know he was going to be there, or did you? What no. was this in like some country yes, retreat? Country estate called the Grove, where England stay. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, sure, nice. We go, yeah, we go there on holidays. Nice. And, and you walked in. Were there other footballers there? 
Ducouré, who was there with his okay. family as well, and he said to my son in French, oh, do you want a photo? And my son said, well, a bit later, I'm playing football right now. Damn. And I'm like, Ducouré just walked off. Yeah. But funnily enough, for you as a movie fan, Chris Hemsworth was here really? with his family. Thor. He must be filming something at the Pinewood Studios who are near the Grove okay. in Hertfordshire, and his wife was there with their three children, and he was also very lovely. Was he nice? Yeah, very nice. Very, very nice. With so, the kids, they played. Yeah, it was really nice. His kids. Brilliant. Played. I'm voting for a sort of a weekly celebrity spotting section <laughs> where if, Jules comes in and tells us. Yeah, basically sponsor Jules to go to the Grove <laughs> yes, and hang out because it's, it's Celeb City. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, really fantastic. Nice. We were talking about teams potentially who might make it into the top six. Is, is anyone going to say that Everton might do that? No. I don't no think anyone would reasonably argue that anyone will break no one not West Ham Buffet Bowler says who's the most unpredictable Premier League side I'm going for West Ham as they genuinely could finish oh yeah 7th to 20th my shout would be for Burnley because really I don't think anyone knows what to expect from them we I've been tipping them to go down for three years and looking stupid every time and they've got this path to the Europa League that now looks incredibly difficult which bizarrely could save their season because they've not they've hardly signed anyone. I know they signed Matej Vida as striker back up, but I don't think he's Joe Premier Hart. League quality. Third choice goalie, Joe Hart. Yes, signed Joe Hart as a third choice keeper. Yeah. And they've signed Ben Gibson, who I think is, yeah, is a good signing. Good signing. Nobody knows what to expect from Burnley. Surely with Burnley you know exactly what to expect. Well you know you might not expect them how to play, but you know I don't have any idea where they'll finish in the league. Can you help him out, Adam? I think he's right about the Europa League group stage. I mean I I can't see them being able to cope with that with the squad that they've got and that, that could mean a bad start and then you get into a rut. Gibson is a good signing, he's a good fit for Deitch, but uh, I think I think it's, they're a good bet, they're four to one to go down or something. Five to one. Four to one it? to go down? Yeah, something like that. Really? Mm. Wow. Listen, we'll, we'll fly through this next bit because I know you're eager to talk about Wolves and I'm eager to hear about them. West Ham, Jules. It's a lot of money spent. Well, they, they spend a lot of money. Fans are really optimistic they were 13th in the Premier League last time with the worst events in the league. But Mauro Pellegrini's in and so are a whole bunch of players, including the aforementioned Yamalika Felipe Anderson, who can be brilliant, but probably won't start until around about March. Yeah, when the, when the weather gets a bit warmer. Yeah, well... I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Jack Wilshere could be brilliant, but is he going to be and mm. when? Can they all gel together? Can you play Yamolenko, Felipe Anderson... And Jack Wilshere together, Lanzini will come back from injury at some point as well. It's it's an exciting squad. Some Pellegrino, as some Manchester City players used to call him, is a good manager, I think. It's good to see him back in here. It's a big squad for him to manage with, I think, a lot of expectation and excitement from the fans. He that did OK with Man City, which was quite a sizable. True, but I think that you know, that squad was better than the one he has now. Yeah. With, yeah, with yeah. all those players, and you know, as we said, and, and proven and tested. And mm-hmm. I think, again, the atmosphere could turn pretty quickly at West Ham as well. We've seen that before, so it'd be very interesting. I think right. two very quick things at West Ham. Firstly, they conceded three or more goals in a game last season 15 times in the league, which is six more than anyone else in the Premier League. And they've signed Issa Diop, who is a man-mountain central defender, and there are a lot of hopes on him. And yeah. I think he's club record signing at the time when he joined, £22 yeah, yeah. Million. And the other thing is, the money spent argument is kind of fake in that West Ham fans were demanding their club spend lots of money because they were sick of them saving it up and not spending it. So now when they have spent it, there's no West Ham supporter saying, oh gosh, we spent a lot of money. Mm. They'd rather it was spent than saved up. So yeah. But surely you want to spend it rightly, right? If Philip yeah. Anderson doesn't score a goal and gives two assists in the season, you think like, wow. But they could have gone down last season and they're, they're still buying players outside of their their reality zone because of they're in the Premier League and because they're in London. I don't think they are 
I don't think they have any... De- signings like Yarmolenko two or three years ago would have been excellent. And that's, yeah. that kind of is the West Ham issue, is they're signing players that, as a rule, two or three years ago would have been excellent and they're hoping they've still got it. Hmm. Could be an interesting season again, once again, in East London. Now, what about the promoted sides? All three of them stayed up last season. Will the same thing happen this time around? We'll be discussing that and more after this. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Hey, Totally Football Show listeners, we're going to be in London doing a live thing in September and then another one in Manchester in October. How about that? We'll tell you more about both of those extremely exciting events in coming weeks. So keep your ears peeled. Promoted sides. Stanislav Ivanov says, is it possible all three promoted teams to survive again? I think it's possible. I think Fulham and Wolves will probably do more than stay up. I really like the business Fulham have done. And I think Wolves are even money for the top half. So Really? Yeah, so I think you would be surprised if... I'd be surprised if Fulham and Wolves go down. And Cardiff are going to be this year's Huddersfield, isn't that right? As in everyone's going to say, there's no, they don't belong here. That's true. And Neil Warnock will enjoy it. And I think he's got a very well-organised side. I think he's bought good championship players. So there could be that factor during the first half of the season. But it's a long season for a team like Cardiff, I would say. Great stat from our friend Duncan Alexander, a.k.a. Oily Sailor, who points out that if the 17-18 championship table had been based on past completion, Fulham and Wolves would still have gone up at the end of the season, but Cardiff would have gone to League One. Yeah, it's 59%. a completely different style. Yeah, completely different style of play that might offer something different with some long throws, but you would expect teams to be able to cope with it, to be honest. Warnock's had eight promotions, but he's never stayed up. Is that right, Still, mm, Yeah. Mrs. Ellis from Cardiff, so we're hoping that it could be a good season, obviously. All right. Good luck with that one. So the other two teams then that have just come up, you're very modestly, despite being a bit of a Wolves fan, Adam, saying that Fulham have done the better business. Yeah, I think so. I think Jukanovic is a really good manager. Mitrovic is a great signing. I love mm. Serie in midfield. And Kearney, I think, is... Kearney and even McDonald as well, they're sort of players who, as you say with that stat about pass completion, right. they're the guys who can pass the ball in the, in the Premier League. And I think at Craven Cottage, I would expect them to outplay everyone by the top six. Also, the players they hang on to, players like Ryan Sessignon. Yeah, I mean, a, a player who I think we're all excited to see what he can do at the next level. And uh, is the right decision to stay, I think. And he's now he's get this natural reward How old it. is he now? 18. 18, wow. The interesting thing that Adam says about Jukanovic, that's going to be a really interesting season for him because it helps when you're a promoted club having a manager that's got a real grudge and a real reason to want it to work. And with him getting sacked by replaced by Watford before they got the Premier League, and having seen yeah, the he business got the promotion, done, but then yeah, got let then go. got let go. Yeah, then because he 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 basically asked for a contract they weren't prepared to pay. He has got the bit between his teeth and will be more determined than ever to well, to finish above Watford for starters. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Shirley in midfield. I think did you, Adam? I didn't, but yes, another good signing. Okay. And I think that the thing about Fulham is they're not a typical team going up through the playoffs that's probably not quite as good as the rest. I mean, they went 19 games unbeaten towards the back end of the season. They scored more goals from open play than any other team. You can make a case for them being, it's the equivalent of the champion, you know, champions of the championship coming up and you expect them to do well. All right. What about Jean-Michel Serri from, from Nice, Jules? Oh, a wonderful player. Yeah, in what way? In the way that he was good enough for Barcelona, so surely he's good enough for Fulham and, and the Premier League. The only reason he didn't go to Barcelona because Nice got a bit greedy at the last minute 
and wanted more money from Barcelona when they already had an agreement of 40 million euros and Barca was like you don't you don't talk to us like this so we're not going to sign him otherwise he will be we're playing for Barcelona right now right where do you think Fulham are going to finish I think they will finish top half top half yeah I could see them finish it 10 higher no than problem. Wolves uh, my issue with Wolves I'm sorry is Adama Traore I don't get it I don't get how you spend 20 million on him I really don't. I get the money on Rui Patricio, on Ruben Neves, on, on other signings. On Adama Traore, I don't, I don't get it. It's a lot of money, isn't it? It's a wild card as well. But I think as a bench option, I know it's a lot of money to spend someone on the bench, but he is someone who could perhaps change a game if it's not going your way. But they do have a lot of options out wide. So, yeah, it's a strange one. Well, last season, there was a lot of talk of them, about them being already good enough if they were dropped into the Premier League to finish mid-table. So with the additions, and I read with interest, they've got more Portuguese internationals now than Porto do. It's difficult for you, Adam, because <laughs> you actually don't want to make any I'm kind a professional of... professional journalist, James, come <laughs> on. <laughs> think, where, uh... Daniel, where do you think Wolves could end up this year? I think it entirely depends how they start the season. There's clearly a huge amount of goodwill throughout the club at the moment. Right. Supporters, manager, ownership, players, vision, everyone is moving in the right direction. A slow start to the season can sometimes puncture that a bit. And we haven't actually really seen Fosun's Wolves against adversity yet. And we haven't seen Nuno at Wolves really in adversity yet. He was brilliant last season, by the way. So the reason he haven't, we haven't seen him in that is that he's been pretty much outstanding since he arrived. So I think it entirely depends on how they start. If they start well, they can finish top half. I think if you said to the owners now, first season, will you be happy to finish 16th, 17th? They'd probably say yes. Mm. But they have got a vision for Champions League football. So... They're not going to mess around. Fair enough. Of course, Adam, earlier on, you were saying top eight, potentially, weren't you? Yeah, I feel like I've already scaled that back during the first <laughs> show. No, I think um, Dan's right. I mean, Everton at home is the first game. And normally when you get a promoted team come in, you know, they're going to still cheer the team off if they lose. Yeah. I think, you know, bad result against Everton, go to Leicester, then it's Man City third game. Yeah. So the start is important, but they've got... Three or four players there who are top half players. I think there are issues in the team that haven't been addressed. Not they haven't signed a defender. Okay. So that that hasn't happened yet. I think there's a striker, an out and out striker. They've got Raul Jimenez, who was sort of a bench player at Benfica. Benfica. Hmm. Uh, Leo Bonatini didn't score after Christmas. They're the two target men, really, uh-huh. in the team. So they've got a lot of options, but they still are looking at playing Neves and Matinho as a midfield two, which is a gamble if things start to go against you. It doesn't seem that long ago that, that they left the um, Premier League in, in disarray with, with poor Terry Connor kind of welling up on, on, on TV. For them to come back in this fashion, I can't recall the, uh, the last promoted side that was as eagerly anticipated as Wolves. must be quite remarkable to be a, a Wolves supporter. Yeah, in this. I think so. I think the fact that they went down to the third tier mm. kind of is something worth bearing in mind when people talk about the sort of the fears about Wolves with the George Mendes influence and, right. and sort of is that something to worry about losing your club? I think a lot of the fans feel that they've actually got the club back and they're excited about watching them again. And what's the worst that can happen when you've had two occasions them gone all the way through the league, so down to the fourth tier in the 1980s? The last time I can remember feeling like this about a promotion club was, was Fulham with, with, with Keegan and Tiganar and Al Fayed's money coming up through. And, and again, I think they probably did it maybe 12th or 13th that season, but they, they had this entertainer's brand of football mm. that had wowed the championship. Obviously, it's it's got a modern football tag to it now, but as Adam says, given what Wolves fans have been through in the past, to look from the outside and say, oh God, it must be awful to not, not feel like that's your club anymore. 
is any club really a supporters club anymore? Look what happened at Arsenal this week. That sort of thing doesn't exist anymore. So to frown at it without really understanding the situation is a little, a little rich, I think. Well, if all the newly promoted sides stay up, asked Tom Sheehy, who bites the bullet? He suggests... Cardiff, Huddersfield and Southampton. Luke Wills, on a related note, says, which team do the guys think will have the pleasure of Sam Allardyce taking over around Christmas time? Well, those questions must wait for their answer in the final part of this Totally Football show after this. Hello. Every Tuesday you can download the Totally Football League show featuring Adrian Clark, Joe Criddy and Sam Parkin who kind of give their opinions on what happened at the weekend but mainly it just turns into them talking about themselves and how well they played the game. Not Joe, of course, although he does have an effort wide of goal every week. This week we're talking things Blackpool for the fans being away from the club. Gary Bowyer going, where does the club get left? There's a lot of that actually this week, most weeks about ownership and relating with the fans too. Talking to fans, we talked to someone from Barnsley and I don't know where that accent came from about his new film and just how well they've started the season. 90 minutes in, almost going into the second game. Where does your club stand and have your ambitions changed? There's lots of that on the Totally Football League show, not just this week but every week. You also download for free every Tuesday. Right. If two or three of the newly promoted sides stay up, that means by the immutable laws of physics that other teams must go down in their place. Who have you got? Jules. Hang on, hang on, hang on. No, I must press you for your answer. One team. You've already got one team there, haven't you, I bet? Come on, who have you got as you're nailed on for relegation? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Daniel, coming to you then. My three are Cardiff, Huddersfield and Watford. Watford? Mm. Who's their manager? Ben Wilmot to be brilliant, but the more (laughs) so still to go to the championship. Tavi Gracia, isn't it, listeners? It is. Yes. Yeah. Right. Why, why is it all going to come apart for Watford then? Last season, the, the clubs that got themselves in trouble were the ones that didn't seem to have any clear vision and just sort of bobbed along and got surprised that, oh God, we're suddenly in a relegation zone and it's Christmas. Mm. And I think that might be Watford this season. Well, they finished 16th, of course. It wasn't that far off last time. Mm. I'd forgotten they ended up that, They've that far. They've not really though. bought uh, any big names as some of the kind of they need, desperately need a striker. They've obviously lost Richarlison, who went off in the second half last season. It's a lot of goals, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they, 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 I'm they, joking because he... <laughs> yeah, sorry, but do go on. They recruit 50, 40 million from that deal and yeah. yet don't seem to be bothered to try and invest it. So, yeah, it just feels like that's on a negative negative turn. So you've got Watford Huddersfield, who survived and had one or two moments beating Man U, that kind of thing. Lowest scorers in the division. You think that'll catch up with them? Yeah, they haven't really tried to buy any more goals either. Right. They, they've bought more defenders to try and concede fewer. And, and Cardiff, who are basically going to go mm. back to the decade that spawned them. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Adam? I would agree with Cardiff and Huddersfield. I think I'm going to take my cue from last season when it was kind of three teams who were seen as mid-table teams that, that got themselves in trouble. And I think you look at Southampton at 7-1 to one to go down when they were in such trouble last season. I can't really see the reason why that suddenly changed around and now they're suddenly going to be a top-half team. They haven't really spent any money. Right. The, the big issue last year, they, they used to have, they used to play a lot, create a lot and not score many goals a lot. Uh, Charlie Austin was their top scorer. Seven goals he had and he was injured for seven months. So that, that tells you a whole bunch. Have they sc- signed a big goal scorer? Well, yeah, people are tipping Gabby Adini to have a big season, but mm. it seems a little Have they signed a big that, goal scorer? No, they haven't no. signed anyone. They, they, they're obviously looking at Danny Ings, but they haven't signed anyone and there's only a day left. Right. They haven't sold anyone to Liverpool, though. OK, so Southampton could be in trouble. Jules, how are you doing on your calculations? Sorry, sorry. No, I went for, I'm going for Crystal Palace. What? Yeah. Crystal Palace? Yeah. Uncle Roy? Joaquin, Uncle Roy. Uh, Brighton and Huddersfield. 
I keep Cardiff over. Brighton? Because, yeah, yeah. But did you, you probably made that mistake last year and they schooled you, Jules. But I think the second season is, 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 is often very tough as well. That's true for podcasts as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, tell me, uh, so beyond the second season syndrome, what about Brighton makes you think that they are going to go backwards? Um, I just thought, again, last season they, they had a bit of luck, you know, especially at home. I'm not sure that defensively the, the pair of centre-halves they had could repeat the same season they had. I mean, I think they were the teams with the highest number of blocks and everything. I felt last season a lot of the games they were on the edge and somehow managed to get a point or right. sometimes a win. Uh-huh. And I just wonder if they can repeat that for another season. I think the, Despite- the other danger for Brighton is that Hewton, when he was at Norwich, mm. 2013-14, that summer, they'd stayed up and he kind of decided, right... I did that using pragmatic football and now I want to show off this yeah, unsexy football. And basically, he committed career suicide almost. It's taken him a long time to come back from that because he was sacked eight months later. They went down. And it just feels this summer as if he's doing the same thing at Brighton. He's buying flair players to try and maybe change the way they play. One thing I would say, Yves Basuma, who was yeah, in... Really he, good. he looks I mean, a really good player. Yeah, he's good. He's he looks above good. Brighton's level. Yes, but it's a lot of signings again and a lot of players there you have to integrate in your team right. you know, are you going to make a lot of changes are you going to make are you going to play differently and I think it's, there's a lot of question marks there that player I should be being that seagull I should be getting uh, excited Yves about Bissouma, who, Bissouma who Julian will know more than me about what, yeah, what's so special about him he's a, well, he's a central midfielder who to me in watching a couple of their pre-season games he, he looks it's a bit of a hackney description but he looks like Wilfred and Didi 10 yards further up the pitch you know he controls that, the game he makes tackles but he also has pretty amazing shot on him yeah, he's a first set piece taker he, he looks like he's got the lot and, and yeah. it looks like Brighton have stolen a march on certain clubs to sign him for I think 16, 17 yeah. million but yeah, he looks a hell of a player he's only no, 21 he's they've also got in Hackenbash who's mm. from that illustrious school of, of the Eredivisie goal scorers mm. I mean of course people mention Afonso Alves at this point but you've also got the likes of Luis Suarez in there that could be a really interesting signing for a, a club that did struggle to score goals at the right end last yeah, year. Do you remember they used to score own goals all the time? But anyway, sorry. Adam. <laughs> well, the, Glenn Murray was the top scorer, wasn't he? That's right, year? yeah. He's uh, getting even older. You can't expect him to do it again, so they do need that one to work, I think. Okay. Nobody's mentioned Newcastle to go down. T. Matthew says, which manager will be first out the door? My money, sadly, is on Rafa. Poor guy has nothing to work with. Mm. He's not happy about life, is he? What's the, the situation? Rafa would work out. He wouldn't get sacked. Okay. Which is different. First out the door, though, he says. Yeah, fair enough, then maybe. Yeah. They they are in, again, groundhog season. Promises made that every penny generated by the club will be spent on players and still penny pinching. The The signing of Rondon is, is absolutely archetypal, Mike Ashley and Newcastle United, in that they tried to negotiate avoiding paying a £16 million fee for a player who could feasibly in this market be worth more than that and ended up swapping one loan striker for another loan striker so they haven't even signed him on a permanent deal. The mood is toxic. There are There is a huge movement that if Rafa Benitez leaves at any point and it's, it's viewed that Ashley is to blame, which at the moment it will be, then they will stop going to games because they, they, they've got to the stage now where they... And it's easy to say enough is enough, but they really do, do believe that. All right. Do you know who Newcastle's... Record signing is? Yeah, it's still Michael Owen. <laughs> 16 million 2005, 13 years mm. ago. I think it's something wow. like 147 or 148 players have been signed by the current 20 Premier League clubs for 20 million or more, and Newcastle do not account for any of them. Wow. Tenth last year, though. 
Mm, but but that's, that's the thing. That was overachievement. And 10th and was only seven points off 17th. So it was in such a bunched... You know, if we say Wolves are going to be better and Fulham are going to be better and West Ham have spent and Everton have spent and Leicester have spent, then suddenly you drop down those places very okay. easily. Bournemouth to have a comfortable season, Adam? I'm not so sure about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I keep quoting odds, don't know, but they're 5-1 to one to go down. Are that they? interested me as well. I think they could fall into that category of a team that sort of feels like they're secure but aren't, but I, I think they just have enough. Right. I'm going to come back to Jules's point now about Palace being potentially in that bottom three. Adam, where, where, where do you stand on that? Why is it? Is it the Zaha wanting out? Is that likely to happen in the next 24 hours? I don't hours? think it is likely to happen, but right. obviously that could make me look foolish very quickly. But I think Crystal Palace, I think I think they'll do much better under Raj. I mean, you look at you take those first seven games out. From say, last well, what, year. Yeah, so what yeah, was their that's form the thing. like they were able to stay over up. 30 games? Yeah. That's top off form. And then some, they finished 11th in the end as it was. I so the first seven games, they didn't get a point or even score, score a goal. goal. Yeah. Score a goal, yeah. And they still managed to finish on yeah. the edge of the top half. Yeah. So, Jules, why are you predicting them? I don't them? like them. I don't like Roy. I don't like their players. They lost Johan Kabay as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, just, he was such keen. an influential player for I'm them, wasn't keen. he? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Palace fans. Just, yeah. You just don't like them? No, I really, I don't, I don't really like them. However, I like Max Meyer. Okay. Who they Why? on a free from Schalke. I like the way he reinvented himself last season under Tedesco as a manager. He, he plays as a number six now, holding midfielder player, and in a Pirlo way, if you want, not as good as Pirlo, but and from a winger position where he's, he played for most of his career, and he's a young player, and I think he's got a lot of talent. So well done to them for that. For okay. The rest, I'm not so sure. All right. So there's that Palace fans. Yes, yeah, there's that. That is all. I think, is that everyone, Adam? Did we skip anybody? Bournemouth got about two words. Sorry about that, Cherries fans. But there'll be plenty of opportunity as this big fat season rolls on for us to discuss your team's exploits and indeed all the many teams of this tremendous Premier League. We'll, of course, be looking forward to the opening weekends of the other leagues as and when they, they get underway, George. You'll come back and talk about Ligue 1. Yes, please. Uh, we'll do some stuff on Golazzo about the tremendously exciting City A season. Oh, my God, the transfers there. Fantastic. <laughs> Incredible. One or two that didn't quite go through that I had my fingers crossed for. Luka Modric didn't. Uh, yeah. It's a it shame. might still go through. Do you think? Yeah. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Love that. Uh, anyway, that's the Premier League preview stuff. So let's get now the odds on that. It's producer Ben, who's been back speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, how are you? Happy new season. Happy new season to you. I'm very good. I'm almost ready for the new season. Almost. Well, let's uh, let's get stuck into it, Lee. Um, tell me about the odds for the champions and the title race. Yeah, Man City are odds on to retain their title at 8-13, but that's not been done for donkeys years. Luckily for them, they're far from donkeys, and their latest show pony, Mares, isn't a bad addition, is he? Uh, but Liverpool, the most popular team of our punters, interestingly, they're four to one second favourites. Quite a good price, that I think. And their summer dealing without shine, even David Dickinson. Then you've got United at 15 to two, but even Mourinho wouldn't bet on them. Chelsea are 12 to one long shots, which strikes me as interesting. Or oh, it could be exactly right. All right, we'll talk about the relegation picture shortly, but let's stick with uh, the top of the charts there. What about top scorer? And uh, is is Harry Kane finally going to score in August this time? <laughs> I suppose it depends whether he actually plays in August or not. Lord knows he looks shattered at the World Cup, but I'd expect Spurs will want him back as soon as possible. And we offer a price of 1-5 to five that he registers his first ever Premier League goal in August. He has three matches to do it in. Uh, and he's our favourite to be top scorer as well. He's 13-5 to five for the Golden Boot. Mo Salah is 11-2. to two. 
and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang of Arsenal was 13 to 1 and he is the most popular bet in our betting. You mentioned Moo uh, a couple of moments ago. He's been uh, his cheery old self and it's his third season, as everyone is noting, so it's bound to go spectacularly well at United. Uh, let's talk about the sack race. Yes, and he is top of the list for our sack race betting. Uh, he wasn't at the start of the summer, believe it or not, despite the third year theory, but the last couple of weeks he's been a miserable old bastard, hasn't he? And he's now 5-1 to one favourite to be the first Premier League manager to change their job. Um, he's been in the real funk and he's even shorter price than Neil Warnock at Cardiff so that says quite a lot I think well it's good news for Big Sam one way or the other anyway uh, let's talk about um, a couple of the promoted teams Wolves um, everyone seems to think that they're going to be absolutely flying this season and uh, a safe bet for at least the top 10 what about Fulham they've got some uh, really good players on their books and they've made some interesting signings too yeah I think Fulham have gone under the radar a little bit compared to Wolves who obviously have been quite spectacular Fulham have been quite bold. You know, Scherler on two-year loan is an incredible signing, while Serie was supposed to go to Chelsea. So for them to finish top half, we offer 9-2, to two, which I think is excellent value. Wolves are even money, by the way. Uh, and I wouldn't be tipping Fulham to go down at all. And Lee, let's talk about the relegation picture. I imagine Cardiff are probably the favourites to uh, finish rock bottom here. Yeah, I feel bad saying it, but they are odds-on to be the whipping boys this season. Uh, our traders have basically consigned them to relegation already. They're four to six to go down, um, which you do understand. Huddersfield are second favourites to go down. They're eleven to ten, uh, and beyond that it gets a little bit messier. Brighton are our third favourites to go down, seven to four. You can get Watford at nine to five, same price as Fulham, which I don't fancy as I've mentioned. And how about Burnley at seven to two? The Europa League curse. Woof. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Daniel, you're going to be back with us Monday along with Michael Cox and Tom Williams. That's a treat, Stella isn't it? Stellar lineup, yeah. Listeners, make sure you book time at the start of your week for that as we review the opening weekend of this Premier League season. Wow. So exciting. Every Monday and Thursday we'll be here throughout the campaign. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at The Totally Football Show. So make sure you do that. Adam, where will we next be seeing you? Are you going to be on our screens this weekend? Not on the screen, but I think I'm going to Wolves Everton. So nice. That, yeah, I'm working that weekend and the week one after. So, uh, But Brilliant. first I've got to get through transfer deadline day. Yes, yeah. yes. Transfer deadline day, Thursday, well, day essentially brilliant we'll look forward to having you back with us again as soon as possible and Julien what have you got planned for the weekend Arsenal Man City on Sunday right say hello to the celebs from us yes of course my <laughs> and, new best uh, friends yes yeah we look forward to Four welcoming one, you back yeah. soon and your big World Cup winning grin what? oh yeah that World Cup yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah yeah World Cup champions yeah. listeners keep in touch with us on Twitter at The Totally Show where we're giving away loads of prizes we'll catch up with you soon have a great opening weekend and see you Monday You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Totally Football Show.